We're in a great portion of Scripture this morning. We're in Exodus 16, and uh, starting with verse 1, which is, which is always a good place to start. Have you noticed that first one? You know, um, this week I've been reading just an awesome book, and uh, it's called The Bible, and uh, the author is out of this world, I'll tell you. He's just unbelievable. But one of the things that I've been, like, confronted with in my reading and, and what has caused me to really do a lot of deep thought is that simple reality that our physical life is so temporary. You know, there is but a step between me and death. Another verse says, what is your life that's in James? What is your life? You are but a mist. It appears for a moment and then vanishes. So this physical existence we have, this body we have, is so temporary. We literally don't know from one day to the next if we're going to live physically. And yet, <clears throat> there is in the heart of every man an understanding of eternity. Scripture tells us that. Everyone knows there's something beyond this life. This isn't just the end. Because this outward frame that we have is nothing but a biological creation of God. But what really allows us to worship and to have communion with him is something that's internal. It's our soul and it's our spirit, which are immortal, immaterial. Therefore, they cannot die. So when our physical body no longer is capable of existing in this world, we go to be with the Lord. But the reality is, those who have not committed their life to Jesus Christ, they don't go to be with the Lord. They go to the abusa, to hell, where they will feel the greatest suffering of all, being separated from their God for all eternity. And so we have to realize as we study Scripture, it's always to encourage us. It's never to discourage us. It's never to dissuade us from following the path of God. It's always to encourage us. And that's why I love that portion in Romans 15:4. Probably most of you know this by heart. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. What a wonderful thing hope is. Hope never fails, the Word of God tells us. And it's one thing that we all know this. It's one thing to learn from our own mistakes, right? Oh, man, I'll never do that again. Oh, what a disaster that was. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's the better thing to learn from others' mistakes. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying it really is true. That's why the Lord gives us these accounts that we're finding of Israel. We look at Israel and we think, how could they do that? How could they be so unfaithful? Because it's us. It's the way we are. And so we look and we learn from their mistakes, and it allows us not only to have greater communion with the Lord, but to avoid all the pitfalls in life that can so tear us down. You know, I, I love what it tells us in... Um, Lamentations 3.24, it says, The Lord is my... Did you know that's a book in the Bible? It is in there, Lamentations. <laughs> and it says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. He's our portion. 
You know, we just had Thanksgiving, and my portion, I want it to be the pumpkin pie. But uh, the reality is the only thing that matters as far as being my portion is the Lord. He is my portion. And then again in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint. It's talking about hope in the Lord. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He, the Holy Spirit, God, was given to us. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon believers. And from that day forward, anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, confesses their sin, and asks him to come in and take over their life, they are filled with his Holy Spirit. They are born again of the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God dwells within our cardiac, our heart, our inner man. And that's the reason, as believers, we're different. We still make mistakes, we still fall, we still have this problem and that problem, but there's something within us that that testifies to us, this is the way, this is the way. And if we follow the Word of God, we know the way. Now, as we look at this portion, um, you know, it's easy to be critical of the children of Israel until we remember we're just like them. You know, you read, oh, how could the Israelites be that way? Well, we, all we have to do is look at our own life and we understand. Because the thing is, there are natural drives that God has given me. And there's actually five. But the ones I'm mentioning here is that there is a need for safety. There's a need for water. And there's a need for food. Right? God has already provided their safety. He took them through the Red Sea and collapsed it on the Egyptians. He put a pillar of fire between they and the Egyptians so that they would be set free. He gave them the safety. They came across the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness, and they come to Marah, and, oh, we don't have any water, and the water there is bitter. And the Lord, through a very simple procedure, had Moses cut down a tree, throw it into the water, and all the water became pure and sweet for the people to eat. So he took care of their safety. He took care of their need for water, basic needs, right? And now they're hungry. Oh, where's God? And all of a sudden, all their you know, complaining and grumbling rises up again. And it's amazing because, to me, I think, he took care of safety. He took care of water. And remember, on both those occasions, they didn't know how they were going to get out of it. Oh, what are we going to do? The Red Sea's trapped us. The Egyptians are coming. We're not safe. The Lord provides a way they're safe. They get to Mara. And, oh, what are we going to do? We don't have any water to drink. We're going to die of thirst. And the Lord sweetens the water. And that's taken care of. And now they're worried because they're not going to have food. You follow the point I'm making. When God has proven himself over and over to us for so many things, we can believe him for the next thing. might not be in our timing or when we think, but we can believe him for the next thing. Because it's all about faith is the bottom line. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you provided for yesterday. But Lord, give us the faith to believe you're going to provide for today. And as we go over this portion of Scripture, I pray that it would bless our hearts, encourage our souls, and lead us to a deeper and fuller understanding of who you are. And so come by your Holy Spirit and fall upon this gathering this morning.
that we would not only feel your presence, but we would hear your voice. And the words that are spoken would not be those of a man, but it would truly be your eternal word. And it would take deep root within our hearts. And now, Father, I pray that you would use me simply a man, but just anoint me with your power and your spirit that I might speak the words of, of your heart to these, your beautiful people, I pray in Jesus Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. Okay, let's start off with Exodus 16, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 first. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. It's actually pronounced Sim in the uh, ancient Hebrew, and it's related to an, uh, an old Egyptian city. That's the area that they came into. And, um, but we pronounce it in, the, in our translation, Sin. And so they came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. That's when they arrived there. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And we read that and we think, how could they be thinking that? I mean, they've seen the miracle, you know, of the plagues. They saw the miracle of their firstborn being protected by the blood of the lamb. They saw their pilfering of the Egyptians. I mean, how could that be? All of a sudden, the Egyptian gives them, gives them all kinds of silver and gold for their journey. And then they're out into the wilderness, and the Red Sea on one side, and, and you know, uh, uh, rugged mountains on another side, and Egyptian encampments on another side, and the Egyptian army behind them. How are they going to get out? Lord takes them to the Red Sea on dry land, dry land. And they get out, and the Red Sea comes back together and destroys the entire Egyptian army. And then they go three days' journey in, and they're complaining about water, and the Lord provides it. And now here it is just maybe a month. We don't know the exact time later, and they're crying out again, Oh, we have no food. And we have to learn from that. Because I think it's so easy for us, even though we have experienced time after time that the Lord has provided for our needs, that when some kind of a need comes or some kind of problem, it's like, oh, 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 you know, we're out of control. What's, what's going to happen here? Well, the Lord's in charge. See, the thing we have to understand is, in this life, probably the worst thing that can happen to us is that we would die. But as believers, even though in the flesh <clears throat> it's the worst thing that can happen, in the spirit it's the best thing that can happen. And you say, well, how can you say that? Because the Word of God says it. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'd rather be with the Lord, but because you idiots still need me, I'm going to stay here and work with you and help you. you know? And he said, that's what God has called me to do. But my point is, death is not the end. And, you know, not trying to, you know, point at myself or anything, but in, in uh, June when I had that heart attack 
and they were, you know, literally running with me up to the catheter lab, I absolutely knew there was a possibility I would die. And I wasn't fearful. I always, I think everyone fears death. But at the point of facing it, I didn't. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's something within us that if we just look to the Lord, he gives us the strength we need to go through the most difficult times. And so when difficulties come, look to the Lord. Trust him. Now, okay. I, did I, I read that whole portion, right? Verses 1 through 3. See, you've really got to pray for me. <laughs> okay. So, as I mentioned, they saw their immediate need, but they forgot all the different times the Lord had delivered them. The thing we have to understand is they, they talk about... Do you ever notice how memory paints a better picture than it really was? Oh, man, when we're in Egypt, man, I'll tell you what, it was great. We just sat around our pots of meat, had all we could eat. It was just wonderful. But you know what they forgot? They were slaves to harsh taskmasters. And they were often beaten with the taskmaster's whip. Scripture tells us that. And they were forced at one time to put to death their own sons. You know, remember, no more sons could be born. They'd be thrown into the Nile River. And now they could nurture their children in the Lord with freedom. They weren't slaves anymore. They were free. They were forced in Egypt to work seven days a week. Once again, at the whip of the taskmasters. Now they have one day off. One day, a day of rest that God ordained for them. And so, it's so amazing when we look at it, because... Their complaint seems legitimate until we realize their complaint isn't legitimate. You know, they were slaves. No, they weren't, hey, man, we're just having a cool time sitting around our pots. No, it wasn't like that at all, and I doubt if they had enough to eat. But memory paints that better picture. Now, in the same way, we have to remember the harsh, harsh taskmasters we were freed from. Sin, self, death, the devil... The world, harsh taskmasters, harsh taskmasters. You know, the world and, and even our own flesh wants to beat us down. But we've been freed. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. We're free. Well, what if I die? Then you're really free. You know, nothing to worry about. Now, we have to understand that just because we have experienced this freedom in the Lord, it doesn't mean that we can't allow ourselves to go back under the taskmaster's whip. And so we have to make sure through prayer, through the study of the word, that we stay in right communion relationship with the Lord. When you're in the presence of the Lord, the harsh taskmaster has no authority over you and can't touch you. He might do a lot of yelling and screaming and threatening, but you belong to Jesus Christ. And you know, we have to remember that I mentioned this last week. Freedom comes with a price, and freedom comes also with responsibility. And that price and that responsibility at times is being willing to suffer, to go through the difficulties of life, and to worship and serve the Lord. Silly example, but it will help make my point. 
you have someone who's in prison. They're told when to get up. They're told when to go to bed. They're told when to eat. They're told when to go out and play. They're told when they can have a recreation time. And they have a place to sleep, a place that's warm. They have, you know, all the facilities for cleanliness and this and that. So in other words, it seems that all the basic needs are met for these prisoners. But what's the one thing that's missing? Freedom. Freedom. And so they're released from prison, and they come out, and for a lot of prisoners, it's hard. Did you know that? That's why it's, some of these halfway houses for prisoners are so wonderful, because it helps them adjust back into society. Because these prisoners, they get out of prison, all of a sudden, they've got to take care of everything. They have to find a place to live. They have to find a job to earn money. They have to, you understand what I'm saying? They have to buy food. They have to cook food. They have to take care of all their own needs. They have to make all their own decisions. So with freedom comes responsibility. And so God has set us free, and along with that comes responsibility. We have the responsibility to eat and drink of the Word of God. We have the responsibility of helping and encouraging all those around us. We have the responsibility of freeing others. Do you ever think about that? God has given us in our eternal salvation, each one of us, the key to freedom. It's called evangelism. And we can take that key, and if anyone is willing, the key of Jesus Christ is able to open the heart of anyone and allow them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, freed from, from the condemnation of sin and death, and to have the assurance of going to heaven. That's what we have to remember. That's what the children of Israel were forgetting. Now, you know, as I mentioned last week again uh, about this price of freedom, there are times um, being free that we do things we don't necessarily feel like, but we do them because we know that's what we need to do, right? Has there ever been a time for anyone here, you don't have to raise your hand, that you didn't feel like going to work? <laughs> Has there ever been a time for anyone here, and you know, I, I know this is sexist, but I'm speaking to women probably more than men. Has there ever been a time you didn't feel like preparing a meal? And what about us, we as believers? Has there ever been a time we didn't feel like praying? Has there ever, ever been a time we didn't feel like sitting in, with our Bibles and studying the Word of God? Has there ever been a time we didn't feel like going to church? The point is, as believers, we take time to recognize where we've come from and where the Lord has brought us. And then it gives us the motivation to do those things that we might not actually feel like. You know, you might be shocked thinking the pastor would say, well, probably there are times you don't feel like praying. There's probably times you don't feel like reading your Bible. There's probably times you don't feel like coming to church. It's true. You know, those, I mean, I always feel like coming to church because I preach and I love preaching. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. But there are times I struggle, I'm being honest with you, to go to prayer. You know, I'm tired. I got so many things in my mind. I'm trying to get this done. I'm trying to get that done. And to just really go to real prayer. Now, now I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Were you ever frightened as a child praying that prayer? I mean, I used to think, what? (laughs) If I die? Honestly, when I was a kid, I had a hard time falling asleep. With, because of that prayer, I thought I might die when, when I fell asleep. But anyway, that's a whole other weird thing. But um, the point I'm getting at, to have real prayer, to really go before the Lord and to intercede. I'll give you a little formula for prayer. And if you follow this formula without even thinking about it, you'll pray for an hour. And remember the book of Acts, A-C-T-S? Use that as an acronym for your way of praying. A stands for adoration. You start off by just adoring the Lord. You are faithful, O oh God. You are worthy. And, and just all the praise you can lay out to him because there's not enough that you can give him. And then C of Acts is confession. Lord, forgive me my sin and transgression. I'm an idiot. You know, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. I'm having unbelief. Really make your confessions to the Lord because remember what it tells us in 1 John 1 9? If we confess, He forgives us and then He purifies us and He helps us along. But it requires an active confession. T, thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. Thank you for the church family you've given me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the breath of life I have. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've given me. Just thanking him. And then the S of A-C-T-S is supplications. Lord, help me with this. Lord, I need that. See, so often our whole prayer is, Lord, I need this and I need that. Help me with this and help me with that. We only go to supplication. That should be the last thing we pray about. And so if you use that little formula that someone taught me years and years ago, it's going to take you through a whole deep process of prayer. And you'll be amazed at how quickly it goes by and um, when you're praising the Lord that way. So anyway, we have to understand that the Lord is faithful. And so we must remain faithful to him. Now it tells us here the whole community grumbled, Right? against Moses. They're really grumbling against the Lord, we'll find. But the whole community grumbled against Moses. But did you ever think about this? Someone had to start it. You know, with all the California wildfires, we know this. It only takes a spark to burn down a whole forest. It only takes one person to grumble to set a whole community at grumbling. And so we have to realize that as believers... We need to keep our focus on the Lord, keep our focus. You know, here's the the thing. There's not one person in this room who hasn't had people that annoy them, that bother them about something they've done. And I'm sure at times, it's hard to believe, but I'm sure at even times, I've done that to you. But the point is, and this is where faith And this is where maturity comes in, is when someone bugs you and you keep quiet about it. Because oftentimes, the thing that is bothering us is just some maybe little personality difference, maybe something that we don't agree with this person on, or they said something that hurt our feelings or whatever. And so they came at us with a pea shooter, and we want to go back at them with a nuclear bomb. Well, I'll show you, (laughs) you know. 
And what a wonderful thing it is. And, it's, and I'm being honest with you, it's a difficult thing. That when someone says something or does something that really bugs you, to just be quiet and just pray for them. And don't respond in kind. Do not repay. Isn't that what Scripture says? And so we just remain quiet and we pray for them. And what peace that will bring. Because look at how this affected. It went through this whole community of two million plus people. Now this grumbling didn't, you know, wasn't just a small inner group. It went through the whole community, it tells us. How amazing is that? And look what they said. And I've read this earlier with you. Oh, that we had died in the hand of the Lord. And had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. He gave them a promise. How could they die in Egypt? He gave them a promise. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, which I doubt, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now understand, it wasn't the Lord's will for them to be slaves. He had given them a promise through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would possess the land of Cana. That was the promise. It was not his will for them to die there. And so often, memory paints such a false picture that it causes us either to exaggerate or to forget the promises the Lord has given us. You know, the Lord has given every one of us promises. And you might think, well, what promises have the Lord given me? I know people have heard from the Lord, and the Lord has said, I'm going to do this. Well, the Lord has given you the promise of heaven. The greatest promise of all. Lord has given us the promise that we never die. He who abides in me shall never die. I'm the resurrection and life. He that believes in me, though he lives, uh, though he dies, yet shall he live. You understand? We have all these promises from God. We have eternal life. We have the promise of heaven. And we even have the promise in this life that he'll give us peace. You know that verse of scripture, that portion, and uh, I think it's in Proverbs, and it talks about it's better to have a crust of bread and contentment than a feast among anxiety or among the contentious. Isn't that true? I mean, haven't there ever been times you wish you would have stayed home for Thanksgiving? And there's been many times that you go to Thanksgiving with a huge group and you have the best time in the world point I'm getting at, it's in our own heart. It's in our own heart that determines how we're going to be reacting to this and reacting to that. I'm thankful. Like, like there have been times, not many, that Vi and I have had Thanksgiving alone, just the two of us. And we had a great time. And there have been times that Vi and I have Thanksgiving, in fact, most times, with a large group. And we're, we have a blast. It's just absolutely great. So it's learning to be content in whatever situation or place the Lord has, pla- has put you, and with whatever he's given you. Thank you, Jesus, for what I have. I don't envy anyone who has more than me, and I don't feel, you know, horrible because I have more than others. I'm just thankful for what the Lord has given me, and what he's given me, hopefully in some way I'm able to help with and share with others. You follow what I'm saying? It's just being thankful for what we have. Because God didn't promise to take them into the wilderness to die. 
but that he would take them into the land of promise, which he's promised us as well. Verses 6 through 8. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Now understand, when Moses said that, he wasn't saying, Well, I can understand why you complain against God, but why would you complain against us? Some people think that Moses was saying that in, you know, in a very selfish kind of way. That's not what he meant at all. Moses' point is, okay, you're complaining against God, but why would you complain against us? Because we can't do anything about anything. We're just ser- servants and slaves just to, to the Lord just like you. We're bond servants to the Lord just like you. So why complain to us? We can't do anything. Complain to God. Take your request to the Lord. He's the only one who can answer Now, we look at this and we think of what a faithful God we serve. We complain and he reveals his glory. You know? You think we complain and the Lord (laughs) reveals him. Instead, he reveals his glory. Because we have to understand that their complaining wasn't the reason he revealed his glory but rather the response to their complaining. That's what they needed. They needed to see his glory. It's not like, oh, if we start complaining, God's going to reveal his glory. I mean, God revealed his glory to bring them peace, to say, look, I'm here. I answer all your needs. And he reveals his glory to us in many ways as well. Because complaining isn't a virtue. Some people think that. Complaining is a virtue. Oh, that's that. Oh, that's that. Oh, this, that. You know, anything that happens, anything that's going on, there's something to complain about. You could be in the best situation ever, having the greatest time ever, and something's wrong. You know, the punch wasn't made right. I can't believe that that pie wasn't... Uh, you know what I mean? There's all. We should never do that. We should be thankful for all that the Lord does. Because complaining isn't a virtue. But guess what? His faithfulness to his weak creatures, to you and I, his faithfulness, that is a virtue. And I'm thankful for it. Now, think about how much sense God's plan for eating here is. He says, in this portion, he says that he was going to give them meat in the evening and he was going to give them all the bread they could eat in the morning. Now, I read that this week when I was studying it, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to try that. And Vi and I are starting this next week. Everything in the Bible was written for our learning. I think there's sense to it. Because when you eat bread in the morning, there's carbohydrate. And what is carbohydrate good for? For producing energy, right? Giving you energy. I want to do stuff. And when's the best time to eat carbohydrate? When do you need the energy the most? In the morning. You're going to go out and do all your stuff. Then after you've worked all day and you've worked your muscles in this and that, what's the best thing to build your muscles back up at the end of the day? Protein. And the thing is, if you eat a lot of carbohydrate at night, the only thing that that will build up is fat. Because if you take the chemical formula for um, carbohydrate and for fat, do you know that they're almost the same? 
there's a little bit of difference in the, in the carbon and the hydrogen amounts, but it's basically the same formula. So it's very easy for carbohydrate that is not used for energy to convert to fat. So following what we read here, Vi and I are starting tomorrow, my choice, and uh, she agreed to go along with it, is we're going to start off tomorrow and have carbohydrate in the morning, have our bread in the morning, and for lunch, we're just going to have fruit and, and veggies and salad. And for the evening, we're just going to have meat. Just see how it works. And so next week, if I'm not here, you know it didn't work. But uh, if next week I'm here and I've lost four or five pounds and I just feel, you know, you guys can say, well, I'm going to try that too. That sounds... But doesn't it make sense? I mean, why, why, I, I, look at the, I was looking at that and I'm thinking, why did the Lord do it that way? And then it made sense. The energy food in the morning and the muscle building food in the evening. Makes sense. Anyway. And um, now we're on verses 9 and 10. Then Moses spoke to Aaron. Say to the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before, before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that, and look, notice this. As he was talking to them, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Wow. I mean, they're complaining, and then they finally come before Aaron, you know, and Moses, and they're answering their complaints, and they look up into the wilderness, and there's the glory of the Lord. What did that look like? You know, I don't think it was a giant 50-foot Jesus like some people, you know, give testimonies of. I don't know what it looked like. But there was something there in the clouds that just revealed the glory of the Lord, and all the people knew it. So just consider how gracious our Lord was and is in answering the complaints of men, in answering our complaints. And I think we would expect, after hearing their grumblings and our grumblings, that the Lord would strike them and us with the plagues of Egypt. But rather... He gave them what they were complaining about. What were they complaining about? We don't have any bread. We don't have any meat. And how did the Lord answer them? I'm going to give you bread and I'm going to give you meat. What a blessing that is. Even taking our complaining before the Lord, if we have faith to hear from him, he's going to give us what we need. He answered their complaints by giving them what they were complaining about. But, understand this. It's not that their complaints were legitimate because they weren't hungry. They were hungry. So, in that sense, they had a legitimate complaint. We're hungry. Where's the food? Where their sin was is not having faith to believe that God would provide it. So, in other, in other words, saying, Oh, God, we're hungry, we're hungry. That's not the sin. The sin is not believing that God's going to provide for your hunger. So we can cry out to the, God, to the Lord our God, God, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about that. Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I have this need. I have that need but have the faith to believe that the Lord's going to provide. Now, the Lord doesn't always provide the way we think he should provide. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Lord, 
I'm having a problem with the muffler in my car, so would you just give me a brand new Mercedes 2018 and free? And, uh, and, and you know what I'm saying? Instead of just saying, Lord, fix the muffler. You know, a lot of times when we complain, we're looking for the Lord to give us much more than we're complaining about. He provides our needs. I'm so thankful. So very, very thankful. You know, we went to, uh, this is going to sound corny, okay, but we went to Crisp's Christmas tree farm yesterday with Frank and Nikki and, and uh, the kids, you know, cut down a Christmas tree. It's a neat experience, you know, south there in Casanova. And um, you take a wagon back by the Christmas trees, and then you get off the wagon, and Frank and Nikki walk 27 miles into the woods, and, and you know, to find the right tree and this and that. And then you come back. But anyway, the point I'm getting at is on the way there, the road you take, there are houses along the road that are like, does anyone really live there? Do you know what I'm saying? They're like castles, um, you know, to me. And then you get to Chris Farms and just plain ordinary people like us cutting down Christmas trees and so forth. And everybody was happy. They were smiling. They were joking. They were friendly, you know. And, uh, you know, we get on the... Uh, you know, the wagon that they take you back with. And, you know, this one young woman sitting there with her family, and she looked at me, and, and of course, I don't know whether I was offended or, or complimented. She goes, oh, I won't bite. Come on, please sit down. I know she was thinking, look at that old guy. He'll never make it. The minute this moves, he's going to fall down. But anyway, my point is, they were so happy. And, and Vi and I got home that day, and we were thinking, you know what? What is true happiness? It's not the accumulation of our possessions, true happiness is what we have and what we, what we do with what we have. If what we have is simple, make the best of it. If we have a dry crust of bread, share it together in a loving home. And if we have a great feast, share it together in a loving home. Just be thankful for what we have and the Lord will bless it. Because he's such a great God. You know, in Second Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is slow sometimes, but not as we consider it slow. Or let me rephrase that. I, I said it absolutely wrong. We consider the Lord being slow in keeping his promises. But brothers and sisters, his promises are always at the right time. And they're always... You know, there's that old silly country western song that says, Thank God for an unanswered prayer. Have you ever heard that one? And you think, well, I, I can't sing, but thank God for an unanswered prayer is, is a big part of the song. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you thank God for unanswered prayer? Because you were praying for something that you thought was exactly what you needed or what you wanted. And later on, you realize it wasn't. And you thank God for unanswered prayer. I can tell you that on more than one occasion. You know, I pray, oh, God, please give me this. And then I didn't get it. And it was, oh, God, thank you for not giving me this, you know. So that's what we have to realize. And um, so we can't take his patience for granted by allowing... Uh, doubt to rise up in our heart. 
He's patient with us, waiting for the right time to give us the right, the right thing. And that's why we have to understand that his glory was revealed, that they might see the glory of the great I am. I am what? I am what you need. And do you ever notice I am is a present tense? It's not, he's never called the I was, or, or he's never called the I will be. He's called the I am. What do you need? Right now, he's capable of providing because of his love. And that's the reason I just can't encourage people enough. If you don't know Jesus Christ, know him. There's nothing magic. There's nothing difficult. You just take your wretched self to the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, a sinner. Forgive me. Remember Jesus said that man went home justified? Forgive me, Jesus. Take over my life. Then you're born again. That simple? Yep. That's the way God is. And if you are saved and you, you have needs or you have difficulties, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're having difficulties you're going through, Lord, help me and trust him. And believe him. Because he loves you with an undying love. He loves you more than you even can imagine. There is no one on this earth, on this terrestrial ball, that can love you the way God, Jehovah, loves you. Because his love isn't temporary. His love is eternal. At death, it's not going to be, well, do you really love me? He's already expressed his full love and commitment to us, and at death we see the fullness of his love and of his person. What a promise. What a great God we serve. And we should be thankful every day for all that he provides. Father, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this portion of Scripture, and we ask that you would bless it to our heart and spirit's understanding that we would not be like the children of Israel, complaining about every difficulty that comes our way, but in faith we would trust you. Because, Lord, the greatest reward is heaven. The greatest reward isn't health. The greatest reward isn't money. The greatest reward isn't popularity or fame. The greatest reward is heaven. And you've given that promise to every single believer in the world. And we thank you for that. And we pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends.